Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. I have had the most enjoyable week. Everybody in this room except for Megan has had an enjoyable week. That is true. (laughs) Did you have a bad week? I had a horrible week. Did you? Yes. Did it have anything to do with cars? No. Well, see, we won't be talking about that today then because this is a car show where we talk about things that have a gas pedal and a transmission and places to sit. And so not a counseling show? No, it's a car definitely show. not a counseling show. Okay. It's all about cars. Uh, Jen is here. Ryan is here. Megan is here. Brandon is here. Jeff is here. And Noah is here. Do you need some counseling, Who's Megan? Who's Jeff? <laughs> Jeff is the newscaster. <laughs> hi Jeff <laughs> who's Jeff <laughs> he said hi to me in the hole did he he's yeah. the guy with a big deep voice that talks about the news all the time um, what's Good on to today's know. show everybody before we digress into complete mental array Subaru Subaru's on the show today uh, we're going to talk about this Mercedes-Benz GD four-door trip that I took to Austin we're going to talk about this Subaru program uh, Mountain Community College which is just outside of uh, Portland it's in uh, Gresham has uh, the world's first program put together by Subaru where you can train to be a Subaru mechanic. We're going to find out all about that. Uh, We're going to be talking to Michael May, who is the Technical Training Education Manager uh, with Subaru. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Audi e-tron event. This is kind of interesting. So Audi unveiled their new e-tron, which is their all-electric vehicle, in San Francisco this week. They paid for 2,000 people to fly in to see this car unveiled. You know, if they spent, that's the, by the way, that's the first year's profit on the car was spent just on having people see it. I didn't get invited. Um, they, not everyone, just 2,000 of the best people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to remember Micah from the Fast Lane Car and the Fast Lane Truck's going to be on. We're going to talk about the uh, North American Performance Car and Performance SUV of the year, um, which was chosen actually in the Northwest this year on, uh, Mount Hood, where the resort is called Resort of the Mountain. It's in Welch's. That's where all of the top YouTubers came in to test the cars. We're also going to find out about that new Audi e-tron because Mark Danke going to be on the phone from uh, Audi and he is the head of public relations in North America. He's going to talk to us about that. And then our crazy scientist Anton Woolman, which everybody loves, or at least I do. Um, and Anton's going to tell us what's been going on in the crazy world of electrics and uh, Tesla. We'll get the update on them. Why are you looking at me like something's wrong, man? Crazy. Yeah, it is weird. a crazy. Uh, it is a crazy world. Ryan, you went to Subaru this week. Yeah, got to drive the new Forester, the uh, brand new one. Yeah, you weren't. Yeah. You weren't um, sure before you left, but you sounds like you're sure now. You've driven it. Well, uh, I read the stats before I went out, and they took the turbo out. So you were expecting. Mah, mah. What yeah. did you get? I mean, it was. A reasonable amount of power, which is what any consumer needs. I mean, I'm <laughs> not expecting amount just a massive amount of horsepower, but well, do people buy amount. a Subaru for more power? No, no. They, capability yeah. and safety. Safety is their number one priority. Adventure. Capability Adventure. and then uh, so safety, capability, and then economy. Or well, you know, a value Let's for just money. Trust in the Subaru brand too. They don't sell that many Subarus. I think about 500,000 a year. Um, How many of those pretty- are sold here in Oregon? Uh, Oregon, Washington, um, Vermont, and Austin, Texas are the three biggest markets. Oh. I think four well, biggest markets. 27% of Subarus in the U.S. that are sold are Foresters, too. 
Well, Shocking. Yeah, the, yeah, that seems kind of low since it's one of their two big brands. It's their, it's their only, it's the second SUV because they have the Ascent. That's interesting. I would expect it to be higher. All right. Uh, but it's, I never bought a Forester. I bought a Forester and then never got a second Forester because the boot in the boot, <laughs> the trunk in the, in the Outback was bigger. Not anymore. Uh, well, no, it's just like it. first in class and everything over it. They actually got these little things to put over the hole in the back, you know, to show you how big they're. Too technical. You know, they, they're. <laughs> You're lazy, lost you already. Back, you know, the back entry where you can shove your stuff, you know? Yes, the they opening. bigger. They showed how, the back how much entry bigger. where you can shove your so stuff. They, they, the took, they took all these other cars <laughs> so and they showed they showed how big their opening is and the cubic size that it was. Just stop. Oh, <laughs> are you serious? This isn't cool. So it's got a super large trunk. Yep. Got it. Got it. But that's not the cool part. The cool part was actually the driver focus, where when you get in the car, it recognizes your face and it'll adjust the seats and the temperature and everything to what you like. Well, it asked me how my day's going. Is that what you oh, need Megan, from your you car? you are demanding. She's hard work. The new Lexus is going to do that. Yes. <laughs> Does it really? Ask you how your day's going. I might just tell it to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm in a bad mood. Um, you know, I remember Ford having the Orion back in the 80s, which was the first car to talk to you. Never heard of it. No, it was. It, I thought Kit was the first car to talk well, to you. Well, now you're talking like fantasy TV, like Orion, you've got to keep them separate. You get mixed up a lot of times. It's not, <laughs> Kit wasn't real. What? Like, no, he wasn't real. <laughs> Kit was the Knight Rider car, was um, somebody's imagination. Okay. It wasn't real. You couldn't buy them off the lot. You didn't go to the kit car company. You didn't have them. <laughs> no, sir. We're out. <laughs> um, but they did. Ford had a car that used to talk to you and ask you questions. An Orion. It was called an Orion in England. I what asked did a ask lot you? of questions. It would just say, uh, how's your day? Mm. How are you doing? Yeah, I, I think it was just like a pre-programmed stuff. Do you remember the cars that used to say, um, your door is ajar? Oh, I do. What cars did that? I cannot remember. Sounds like a Cadillac. Hey, does anybody know what do? cars did your door is ajar? Brandon, you know? He doesn't know. I wish he was listening I can't, right I can't now. Hear He's not even listening. <laughs> um, for would some it, reason, I don't have you turned on in here. Would it repeat Brandon. it over and over again? Yes. I don't oh my it. gosh. Instead of the ding. Yeah, your door, door is ajar. Ja. Your door is ajar. Now Jen's looking it up. <laughs> what was it? What car was it? comes Brandon. So the car is in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, but the real cars, not fantasy. We've got to get this kit. And, is and he talking Hills. about kit again? He's a kid. Not kit. There was a real car that told you your door was ajar. Does somebody know what? Uh, I'm we should, I mean, he's making I mean, it up. I wish that everybody in the world is Googling now is which it, car used to talk to you. Do you think it's an American car? Nah, it sounds um, British. Listen to him. All right, so I've been in Austin for the week <laughs> on this Mercedes-Benz GT four-door event, which has been um, a lot of fun, and uh, we drove them around the track. So it's basically the car that goes up against the Porsche Panamera, um, and this is Mercedes' version of it, and it's faster. Um, it's It does a lot better than the Porsche Panamera Turbo S. Uh, it has more space. It does 0 to 60 in 3.1 versus 3.4 seconds. I, unfortunately, am a loser because I couldn't get it to do it in less than 3.4 seconds. That's pathetic. Yeah, I, and first of all, I couldn't get it to do it better than 3.8. Uh, and then it was 3.4, and I realized I had a race driver with me. Which car was it, Jen? The Datsun Silvia 
200SX used to talk to you. Well, I'm glad we got that over. That took the whole first segment of the show. The best news <laughs> is really we have seven more segments like to go. We have seven more segments to go. Our Auto Expert continues right here on a Sunday. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Welcome back to America's Car Show, a locally created, nationally celebrated. We are talking everything that has uh, gas pedal, brakes. Sometimes they don't have brakes, but they're supposed to have brakes. And, uh, and various other parts, which are common to all cars. If you love cars, this is definitely the place you should be listening to. Uh, I saw a survey, it was probably about two years old now, which showed which car was the most uh, purchased car in which state. It was super interesting. So there's these big lines down the middle of the country of Chevy and um, Ford. They hmm. sort of have the middle of the country. And then the coasts uh, seem to be uh, Japanese brands like Honda, Toyota, Nissan, except uh, Portland or Oregon was the Ram 1500 and Washington was the Outback which is not surprising because my old boss, when I worked for TV in Washington State, told me that if she hadn't done anything in her life, she should have bought a Subaru dealership way back when <laughs> because she wouldn't have to work. Well, I mean, she would, but she, you know, the return on her amount of time invested in her job would be huge. Uh, the Northwest seems to be where many of the Subarus are, are being sold. Uh, everybody's super excited about them. And so it is perfectly natural, of course, uh, once that happens, which is to people wanting their vehicles surveyed. And uh, joining us on the phone uh, is somebody who is uh, in charge of, um, I guess, the program. Well, why, why don't you explain it? Now, that might be a little better. It's it's the new program at Mount Hood Community College for uh, for those who want to learn how to use a Subaru. Um, <clears throat> correct. Um, I'm Mitch May with Subaru of America and... Um, we're talking about Subaru University, which is a program that we started. We're now in our third year. Um, because of our sales success from the recent years, especially in the Pacific Northwest, um, our CEO came to my boss, who's a national training manager, and said, we need you to develop a training program to develop a pipeline of technicians that will be different from any of the other OEMs currently partnering with schools. So that's what we've done. And Mount Hood was one of the pioneers um, who started with us when we began the program uh, in 2015. Uh, just briefly a little bit about the program, how we're different is we're non-proprietary in that. I mean, we provide all of our um, learning management system information, our technical information systems, um, the same systems that our dealership technicians train with. Uh, we give access to the schools and let the schools choose how they wish to incorporate this into their curriculum. Um, most manufacturers require a dedicated training classroom and they dictate the curriculum. Uh, we do none of that. Strictly voluntary. 
Now, now Mitch, now, this, this program, uh, why, why was it decided to start this program in, in the Northwest, in, uh, in Gresham or in, in the Portland area? Because um, I, I'm, personally, I know that the Subarus are very popular here, but was there a, a need for more Subaru-trained specialists in the area? Um, absolutely. The, actually, the, the whole United States, but there's a huge concentration and demand in the Pacific Northwest, um, obviously in Colorado, um, and even the Sun Belt, Southern California, Arizona, but the Pacific Northwest especially um, has a very high rate of growth. Um, our, our sales success there has, has just been snowballing. Uh, for a number of years, um, and Mount Hood, my my boss worked for a manufacturer, another manufacturer prior to this position, which he took about eight years ago as Subaru of America. So he is aware of a lot of programs in the schools already from other OEMs. And Mount Hood was a school who always had a tremendous reputation in the industry, um, top-notch trainers. And they always provided a top student ready for the industry upon graduation. So they really were a natural choice um, to be one of the pioneers. They already had a lot of the tools, components, and equipment um, necessary to, to teach this curriculum. And we had retailers wanting to partner um, to work with the school, to take interns, and to employ students on graduation. So it just it was a natural fit all the way around. So if you decide you want to do this program, what, what can you look forward to? What's on the curriculum? Um, well, there are um, level one, level two are all web-based curriculums provided um, to the schools. All of our technicians and our super retailers must take level one, level two web-based courses, which are really theory-based, not super flavor, just all good theory before they can go into a lab and take instructor-led courses. So we allow students to take all these web-based courses just as our technicians take. Um, they get factory certification. After each module they complete, they can print a certificate, um, keep that in their portfolio. Um, approximately, there are a little over 30 of the web-based courses. Mount Hood has taken it further. We also have five instructor-led courses um, that Mount Hood teaches into their curriculum, um, as well as five of our level three instructor courses um, that Steve and Eric also infuse into their curriculum. Uh, so a student can graduate from Mount Hood um, with 47 factory training credits, which is more than halfway to the approximately 80 needed to be a Subaru Master Technician. So the, the student that's, that's completed all the curriculum in all these courses and comes out with 47 credits can really get a job at any Subaru dealer wherever they choose to go. Now, are Subaru, sending, or are Subaru dealers sending some of their existing uh, staff to get this training done, or is it all people who want to enter the workforce as Subaru technicians? Uh, these are... It's made available to all students at the college. Um, we have our own training centers for our own technicians. Um, we do also encourage our training instructors um, to give them access to any of our training centers at any time. Um, there's no charge for this program to the school or the student. Uh, we also supply um, 
An example, Mount Hood has five late model vehicles. Uh, currently, they have two of our factory scan tools. So these students are currently training on, you know, the factory-level technology um, and also using the, the current um, factory tools as well. So they're very well prepared once they graduate. I have always uh, enjoyed going to uh, schools to, for instance, get my teeth done and get a haircut because it's always good to have those guys training. Do, do they accept cars from the outside to work on, or are they only working on those five vehicles supplied? Um, some schools do do live work. Um, not too many because of liability involved, uh, but really they get they get more. I, I feel they get they get more training and in depth when they're, you know, in a classroom um, with a structured curriculum. Um, it's just it's it's been very successful. The cars that usually come into the shop for live work are not the typically the latest model years with right. the, the latest technology. Right. So, Mitch, tell me, uh, if people need to or they want to get more information on the program, where do they go if they have somebody that wants to get some Subaru training? Um, well, they can they can go. There's a website, Subaru-U.com. Um, there are a number of categories there. There's one with frequently asked questions. There is a national map where they can locate any of the schools. And if you, if you click... Um, on the map, it will give you the school location. Um, for Mount Hood's program, um, Mount Hood has a website, um, mhcc.edu. If you do just do slash automotive technology, um, and you can get all the information about the program. Great. Mitch May, thank you so much for joining us today on Our Auto Expert. If you want to train uh, to be a Subaru tech, mhcc.com to find out more. I'm Nick Miles. This is Our Auto Expert. Coming up next, we're going to talk Audi and their brand new electric vehicle. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. So it's been a busy uh, few weeks. It's actually been a busy summer. We've been doing an awful lot of programs, launches of new cars. Uh, there seems to be a glut of new cars, and that will continue until about December. But the uh, the word on the street is car sales and the amount of new cars released as of December will drop immensely. Um, their tariffs are questionable with uh, China and uh, steel with the United States putting tariffs on those. Uh, the Maybe UK... The bubble, just the auto loan bubble in general? Yeah, the auto loan bubble, but that really won't affect the availability of new cars. Uh, and then companies like Mini have suspended or will suspend production of their vehicles for a month next March when Britain leaves uh, the EU. And the reason for that is they're not sure they can get all the parts. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover is saying they'll lose about 3,000 jobs. So uh, if you're looking to buy a new car, uh, the suggestion is you would do it sooner rather than later because the vehicles may not be available uh, as they are now come the end of the year and the beginning of next year. Uh, but we've had a glut of new vehicle releases now uh, with car companies bringing them out and also showing us vehicles that will be shown off in the future. And we'll talk about this throughout the show. The new Audi e-tron was shown to the public for the first time in San Francisco this week. And it is the third vehicle 
uh, from a major auto manufacturer. Tesla Model X would be something you would think would be the main competition with it, although it is to some extent. Uh, there is also the Mercedes-Benz EQC, the Jaguar I-Pace as well. They're all very similar. Uh, they're about 180-something uh, inches long. The e-tron is actually the longest one at 193. Uh, they're all about the same width and height. The wheelbase is all very similar. The battery life is is very similar. However, the e-tron does have a, a larger battery of kilowatt hours. And the interesting thing is it's not going to go any further than any of the others. It'll do about 250 miles. But here's the cool news. It is supposed to charge from to 80% in about half an hour. So that's, that's the time. Huge. Yeah, that's the time it would take you to go into a Starbucks and basically drink a coffee, uh, have a snack, at, have a chat with a friend. About half an hour, right? What else takes half an hour that you might drive somewhere for? I mean, other reasons why you'd go to the Starbucks? Maybe the bathroom? No, no. I mean, you don't. I'm not trying. <laughs> Ryan, I'm not looking for you to extend your Starbucks trip. I'm just thinking of other things that you might. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. You might do grocery shopping? Yeah. Grocery, grocery shopping? shopping? Is that about half the- an hour? Well, it depends. I wish. It always takes me longer. <laughs> Why? My kids are eating a lot of food. Are they? I mean, they're it's for just at least volume an hour. of food. What about gathering they, your children? How long does it take you to pull up to the school? <laughs> oh, you should and see pick them She has like she has a cattle whip. They know to run. They know to run. <laughs> I'm not stopping. Let's go. Um, and so you know things that take about half an hour. That would be uh, cool. It's also if you stop for a meal somewhere, like if you're traveling. From here to Seattle, which is 196 miles, or from Seattle to Portland, the other way down, uh, is about 196 miles. Uh, so that takes approximately three hours of driving, but the charge for that could easily be done in 30 minutes. So you could stop halfway between Portland and Seattle and have and a meal. Centralia, yeah. yeah, have a meal. Uh, yeah, there's an outlet. Jen, Jen doesn't eat, but she would go shopping for yes. shoes. Yes. <laughs> And so that's so that, about half I mean, an that's hour. great for an area like that. But then you think, like, tomorrow I'm driving from Dallas to West Texas. That's over a 300-mile drive, and I wouldn't be able to make it. No, but you could stop for half an hour in the middle to take a bathroom break and get a coffee. Yeah, that's true. See? There is method to my madness. Um, so that's kind of cool. The uh, the other vehicles, the e, uh, EQC from Mercedes and the Jaguar I-Pace, their batteries are a little smaller, but it, it doesn't change the distance. Uh, what it does do is mean that they take a little bit longer to charge. Zero to 60 mile an hour times, they're very similar. The fastest is the I-Pace at 4.5 seconds. Uh, second is the Mercedes EQC, which is about 4.9 seconds. The e-tron actually goes zero to 60 in 5.5 seconds. Uh, but you know, once once used to, I I went zero to sixty in about three and a half seconds in the Mercedes Benz GT four door. I think once you get below four seconds, it's all pointless. You know, on a day to day basis, how many people need to go zero to sixty? Me, if me in under five seconds. Me, Ryan, me. Where are y'all going? It's on just the about freeway? beating someone. <laughs> at the, it's about beating someone at the light. Yeah, exactly. You know, on the on ramp. You, want to you, know, you know when pride. you get on the freeway and there's the two red lights, one on each side, and then the guy to your left gets the green light early, but you get it like a second later. It's all about being. You want to be guy. on his backside. <laughs> it never even occurred to me to try and beat someone onto the on ramp. It's hard to do in a nineteen uh, in nine, 2007 Honda Honesty minivan. 
That's true. Okay. <laughs> it started at 70, 1998. Uh, Kids, do not try this at home. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We no, do not recommend this. Please don't do what I do, because I'm irresponsible. You and need to get up to the speed, though. You know, you don't want to be one of those guys going slow on the freeway. Yeah, you know, slow on the freeway is dangerous, Jan. Yeah. Oh, I'm not slow on the freeway. No, I'm just saying. It's oh. dang- Megan is dangerous. You just need to get the zipper pattern <laughs> I don't go right. slow on the freeway. No? All right. Just checking. Um, the top speed, uh, the Mercedes... A uh, hundred and what is it? One hundred and twelve miles an hour for the for the Mercedes. Uh, one hundred and twenty-four miles an hour for the I Pace. One hundred twenty-four miles an hour for the E-Tron. And then starting price, the cheapest. Uh, we don't know how much the EQC is going to be, but the I Pace is about uh, seventy thousand starting. The E-Tron about seventy-five thousand, um, and they're all sort of arriving now. The the yeah, I-Pace is sort of coming into dealerships now. Next year for the E-Tron. And next year for the uh, Mercedes as well. And interesting enough, Mercedes made in Germany, I-Pace made in Austria, e-tron made in Belgium. Why, where are the made in America electric cars? That's what I want to know. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Roman Micah from the Fast Lane Car, the Fast Lane Truck. The Performance Car and the Performance SUV of the Year have been announced. And we're going to talk about those vehicles because Roman and I were both judges on them. That's all as our auto expert continues. Stay tuned. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our auto expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. You know, I've been spending uh, a lot of time with uh, a particular individual uh, at events, and so I thought I'd uh, have him on the show and chat about some of the car events that uh, we've been to recently. Roman Micah joining us from the Fast Lane truck and the Fast Lane car. Uh, Roman, uh, does your wife, is she upset that we're spending so much time together? Um... You know, I haven't told her, Nick, but okay. I guess she'll know now. <laughs> I guess she will. Uh, we have been on an unusually large amount of events together, car events, where, uh, we, and I think it wasn't through design, it was just through luck, right? Seems like Yeah, I think you're my work wife at this point. <laughs> Wait, you're my work wife? I thought I was your work wife. Wait, wait, all right, we can argue about this later. Uh, re- recently, uh, we did the testing for the performance car and the performance SUV of the year, as chosen by the Automotive Video Association, which is a gathering of the top video producers in the United States. Uh, 500,000 accumulative annual views between all of those involved in the, uh, the whole organization. And so we were up uh, at Welch's, which is uh, just by Mount Hood, and we got to test these vehicles. So, Roman, in a synopsis, in a takeaway, how did you find this year's event? Oh, it was wonderful, Nick. I mean, anytime you get behind the wheel of, you know, uh, 5,000 horsepower or something crazy like that, it's a good day. And uh, I got to do something really unique, which is take a Maserati off-road, <laughs> which you I did. don't think a lot of people will do. I did. I got I got behind the wheel of this um, $125,000 Maserati Levante GTS, and I noticed that in the center console there was a little button that said off-road, and I was like, hmm, they wouldn't put an off-road button in a car if they didn't want us to take it off-road, right? <laughs> Sounds logical. This is how you explain it to Maserati, by the way. If you, well, you had an off-road button. I had to test that. <laughs> Well, why what else did you put it in there, right? Right. Uh, and so uh, I found I found a little uh, dirt road, and uh, you know, I've, I've, this year I've been very lucky. I've gotten to do some crazy off-road stuff. I've taken a jeep on the Rubicon Trail, 
in Telluride. I did Black Bear Pass, which is a butt-clenching shelf road that basically has a 2,000-foot drop. Uh, I've taken uh, a Jeep up Red Cone, which is a, a, a very crazy, crazy tough off-road course in Colorado where you're at the top of this cone, and you take a 30-degree road straight down where if you don't hit it right, you're just going to go flying. And the scariest thing I did all year, actually, was take that Maserati off-road because <laughs> I was so worried about breaking it. It's so, you know, you have this car that's not necessarily designed to go off-road, but it has an off-road button. What are you going to do? And how did it do? It did really well. It's got, you know, what it has, it's got air suspension. So when you push the off-road button, people might be wondering what happened. Basically, it, it gives you more ground clearance. So it jacks up the car on its tippy toes, and all of a sudden, the rocks that you would normally hit and break expensive nose chin pieces, you drive over. Uh, and then there was a section where it was kind of articulated and one wheel, actually two wheels got in holes and, and the all-wheel drive system figured it out and it got the car up the hill. So I was actually really impressed by how well the all-wheel drive system does. And I, I suppose that makes sense because Maserati is a plane, of course, owned by FCA, which is also part of the Jeep family. So I suspect some of that Jeep technology has found its way into a Maserati. It would make a lot of sense. Uh, so there were five SUVs that we tested that made the final cut of those vehicles. Was that your favorite? Uh, no. No, actually, I like the Mercedes. Uh, I, I felt um, the Maserati was um, just uh, a little too luxurious for my kind of taste. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, we had a bunch of people and they disagreed with me, so that's fine. <laughs> So the uh, the whole way that we voted this year was slightly different from last year. In fact, we uh, we decided which vehicle would uh, not continue through to the next round. And so that when we sort of came up onto each round, uh, we had to choose the the you know all but one that moved forward for us, and we tallied the votes. Um, and it came down to just the two Italians at the end, which is the Maserati Levante GTS and the Alfa Romeo Stelvio uh, Quattrofolio. And they, uh, uh, you know, they had to vote between the two. Um, so when you, when were you left with two, did it go to the Maserati or did it go to the Alfa Romeo for you? Uh, at the end, I went with the um, Maserati, actually, not with the Alfa Romeo. Uh, and the reason for that was I was, you know, still impressed that you could buy a car for that much money and take it off-road. And plus, I believe the Maserati has a Ferrari-sourced engine, and, you know, that's pretty good. That, and that, to me, is the one. I mean, basically, we had two vehicles there in the last two for the SUVs: the uh, the Alfa Romeo Quattrofolio, Stelvio Quattrofolio, and the Maserati Levante GTS. That both had sort of Ferrari derived uh, parts, as it were. So really, the, it was hard to choose between them. But actually, the winner happened to be the Alfa Romeo. That's uh, that's what got the the prize that was announced on uh, national news on Fox and Friends this week uh, for us. I think all in all, they were. it was hard to choose between those three because I do really like the Mercedes as well. They're just stellar vehicles, but the price is pretty high too. Once you get up into vehicles like that Maserati, I mean, $120,000, could you ever see yourself spending that much on an SUV? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. Nick, think back to like when you were a young lad growing up. Can you imagine... Uh, Alfa Romeo or Maserati SUV, right? A tall, kind of ungainly um, people hauler. And yet that's where we're at right now. It's, uh, you know, every year I think that this crossover SUV wave is going to crest. 
and it's going to you know break apart on the on the rocks on the on the shore, and it never does. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Uh, it's it, it's you know Maseratis were these uh, low flung, sleek, sexy sports car that you know movie stars came out of, and Alfa Romeos were were akin to Ferraris, right? They were they had the racing heritage. Actually, um, Ferrari we used to work for the racing team from for Alfa Romeo, so that's where he got his start. Um, and now Alfa Romeo is their best-selling vehicle. It's a crossover. It's it's mind-boggling. It's interesting also to note that there will not be a Ferrari SUV. So this is as performance as it gets. At least at least they're saying at this point there will not be a Ferrari SUV. Do you think that'll change, or do you think this is as good as it gets? You know, they have what used to be called the FF, and now it's the... Uh, GT4, GTC. Yeah, which is a, a four-seater Ferrari. Uh, I think I think that will change because at the end of the day, these companies are in the business of making money, uh, and you don't make money by not giving customers what they want, right? Even though the the four-seater four-seater Ferraris have historically never sold well, uh, and the current one isn't selling well either. So, um, you know, it's more of a station wagon and. In a, in a sort of funky way. Um, it's funny, Nick, I was in Geneva when that car was uh, introduced, you know? Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I, I was there trying to film the car, and I could Geneva is this weird show where it's a buyer show, so you have people, stro- you know, usually when we go to media days, it's just press. But at Geneva, you've got all these people strolling around actually buying cars, right? They've got people with kids and strollers, and so when the car's introduced, it's really hard to get next to the vehicle, so I couldn't get video of it, so I go up to the stand, and I go, hey, can I get some video of this? And they go, are you a journalist? I go, yes. And they go, do you have a business card? And I go, yes. And I give them my business card. And the business card, of course, has my address, which is in America. And they look at it and say, are you from America? And I go, yes. And they go, uh, no, only Italian journalist. Wow. <laughs> I was like, so you... Yeah, I was like, so you're, I was like, um, I'm thinking you probably sell more of these in California in one year than you ever will in Italy. But, you know, this is your call. Wow, so, snubbed yeah. by Ferrari. That uh, that that should get out on the record books. Uh, they, I, I'm sad because actually, I the FF and what is now the GT, whatever it is called, uh, is my favorite Ferrari. <laughs> um, that's to me that that's the one that was the most exciting to me. I just you know five dogs, a wagon Ferrari. There's just nothing better for an auto journalist. Will not sell. Completely impractical, but absolutely fabulous. Wait, wait, Megan, you're shaking your heads. That would be what perfect is your for the deal kids. With wagons. Because it doesn't make sense. What? That's the perfect Ferrari. Yes. Come on, man. No. A perfect wagon. How do you get That's your kids outrageous. in the back of a car? What are you going to do? Dude, Leave if them on I'm getting a Ferrari, I don't care if I can fit the kids in or not. <laughs> kids stay home. They oh. can get their, themselves around some other way. Yeah. All right. Sad Agreed. to be your kid, I guess, today. Yeah. There's got... a return policy on those things, aren't there? <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the kids or the Ferraris? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're buying a Ferrari, are you going to go buy a wagon? Yes, I am. That's my so favorite weird. Ferrari. Absolutely, that is my favorite Ferrari. I love it best. Uh, Roman, let's turn to the cars that we got to choose choose from. Uh, Why don't you run down them and tell us what you thought? You know, we had a a stellar stellar group of cars, um, and obviously the one... Should we cut to the chase, Nick, or should we just just prolong this? Go go ahead. Tell everybody what (laughs) one. Yeah, so what one was the uh, McLaren 720S? Uh, which is uh, the newest McLaren. Uh, it's the one we had, I believe, was $343,000. And it ended up kind of in a three-way tie between it and the uh, Dodge 
Challenger Red Eye, which has more horsepower, ironically, and costs about a quarter as much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I think we worked out you could get you could get four of them for about the same price, right? Yeah, and then the BMW 05 was kind of in the running as well, which is a stellar car. That's got 600 horsepower. So, you know, those were kind of the three finalists at the end, and you give it to the McLaren. And I got to say, Nick, you know, I, I love that McLaren as a track tool, but, uh, so, you know, to live with it is is a whole different thing, you know. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're making fun of Ferraris being a station wagon. This would be the exact opposite, right? It's got these, they, they're not even gullwing doors, right? They're, they're kind of scissored up. Dihedral, uh, then, dihedral you know, doors. Dihedral is very good, yeah. Nick. Dihedral doors, uh, and um, and then you know there's a little hump in there for your head because when you come down, there's not a lot of room, uh, and the car is you know purpose built to just um, blow your mind when you when you accelerate. It's got active aero, everything, so like spool that comes up to help you brake. Uh, there is air that's being channeled in every single direction possible to cool the massive twin turbo uh, V8. Uh, it, it's just it's just a monster of a car, but my gosh, as an old, I'm gonna say old dude, older dude, you know, to live with that thing would be um, would be interesting. I think the uh, first of all the the opening, so you could get your head in there. I like to call it lovingly, lovingly like to call it uh-huh. the head hole. But uh, McLaren didn't like that name very much. They told me it was not called the head hole, and I should refrain from oh, calling it the head. I don't know what it's called. The opening for your noggin? There's only know. one thing it's yeah. really made for, you know. That's that's what it's made for. Tall people. To Did you even in. need it, Nick? No. Well, no, yeah, it's... Uh, Megan, it's hard to explain that you do need every ounce of maneuverability getting in and out. Roman, how tall are you? I'm 6'2". So, the same tall height as Ryan. It it was really hard. I mean, and you're, you're a lot broader shoulders than Ryan. It was really hard for you getting in and out of that vehicle, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit tricky. Um, and you know, you know how exclusive it is? It's so exclusive, and you know this, that they, that doesn't have a front, right? Because every cool kid car now has to have a front. Uh, and I say that because the video I did was, you know, why are YouTubers, the cool YouTube, car YouTubers, buying the McLarens and not like Porsche 911 Turbos or IDRAs? Uh, but there's a specific tool, right, that you need to even open, I was going to say the hood, but the hood opens up to a frunk. So what do you call that? Is I think it, it's actually still called the hood. Um, I, I, we've been through this before, but I think you still call it the hood, where the, which goes over the engine. Um, there, there's been yeah, lots so, of discussion. So you have to have a special tool. Yeah. And then hunk, no one right? can do that, right? So, yeah, so it's so exclusive that if you actually want to work on the car, you have to take it, I think, to the McLaren dealership. There's no other way you're going to actually get at the engine. Yeah, if I can afford $342,000 plus to buy my McLaren, I am definitely <laughs> taking it to a, a dealer to fix. All right, Roman's going to stay with us. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about why Ford are no longer selling cars. In fact, the Mustang will be their only car. That's coming up as our auto expert continues. We'll make a little time here to get some news. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. 
Simon Mike from the Fast Lane car, the Fast Lane truck. Uh, one of YouTube's, or well, the truck is definitely YouTube's biggest uh, truck channel. The Fast Lane car, pretty much uh, there as well. One of the biggest YouTube channels out there. So, Roman, uh, I'm currently this week driving the uh, Chevy Camaro SS, an amazing car, but it is suffering in sales, as are many uh, cars or many non SUVs in America, and that has resulted in Ford talking about only selling the Mustang in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you were to pick the biggest automotive news of the year, it has to be the fact that Ford has announced that they're only going to build trucks and crossovers, and they're getting rid of most, if not almost all of their cars, which is crazy for a company that was, you know, built on the Model T. And, um, you know, I think time, of course, will tell how that shakes out, but all the, you know, all the F cars are going away. The Focus, the Fiesta, the Fusion, the Taurus, um, the Flex is kind of this uh, funky car that, that, that that's living on by the skin of its teeth because it only sells basically in Southern California and uh, Detroit or more likely uh, Dearborn where Ford is headquartered. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ford has gone, gone all in on, you know, trucks and crossovers and SUVs. Uh, and um, I think, you know, that is all good and well until the price of gas starts to climb up when maybe people might decide that they want small cars again or that they maybe don't want to fill up a tank like in an F-150 that sometimes, with gas prices being very high, takes a double flight. Have you ever done that? Like when you have to, you know, gas station will only give you basically $100 worth of gasoline. So if you have a F-150 with a 36-pound fuel tank and, you know, prices of gas exceed $3 or so, then, you, you know, to fill it up from empty, you can go more than 100 bucks. That's yeah. painful, dude. That is painful. That's where you run the card. I think uh, they can do rerun the cut. I think I, the most I've ever spent on a tank of gas is about $136, which was uh, painful. But uh, and I have, a, I have a Land Rover. I have a Suburban. I have vehicles that suck up a lot of gas. Let me ask you this, Roman, jumping out to talking about the Model T. Uh, wasn't the Model T an SUV? Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it had big old wheels. <laughs> <laughs> they were made of wood. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly has very great, uh, you know, ground clearance and great articulation. I guess you could make the, you know, the call that it was a an SUV or crossover. I just got actually done driving the new Lincoln uh, uh, Nautilus, uh, which is basically the renamed MKX. Right. Uh, and you know, Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln seems to have its mojo back. I got behind the wheel of the car, and you know, recently Lincoln has kind of been lost in the wood. American luxury car manufacturers, I think, in general, have been lost in the woods, and that's because both, I think, Lincoln and Cadillac were following kind of the German ideal of luxury, which is, you know, going down the Autobahn very quickly, whereas American luxury has never been about that, right? It's always been about size, double or triple XL vehicles, or about uh, road presence, or about cylinders. Um, and while you know, the new Nautilus doesn't have eight cylinders, it does have two turbos which makes it drive like it has eight cylinders. Uh, so I think Lincoln, Lincoln's got its motor back by spinning it back very slowly. And the new Navigator, it's really good. Uh, so maybe maybe Ford knows something that we don't know. I would I would agree with you. Uh, Americans make big cars very well, but the smaller we get, um, you know, we struggle. 
as a, as manufacturers as as a nation that makes their own cars and i think this was a window for the japanese and the koreans to get involved and the europeans to get involved and to make smaller vehicles which they do much better than americans do uh the lincoln is definitely has mastered the shrinking down of the big american suv and uh, there's going to be six i think suvs in the lincoln uh, household eventually so they're going to have quite a stable of uh, vehicles uh, they do it better but uh, Chevy, uh, sorry, Cadillac and Canon uh, Cadillac have struggled and FCA have struggled. The only uh, real Fiat Chrysler vehicle that has managed to shrink down is the Jeep. And that's because the Wrangler was always a smaller vehicle. Uh, why can't Americans build small SUVs? You know, I think I know the reason for that, actually. And it has to do with how big this country is, right? So to get to my house, from my house to Phoenix, Arizona, which is a thousand miles, it actually takes three turns. I get on I-25, I drive down to Albuquerque, hang a right, I go to Flagstaff, I hang a left, and I've made three turns and I've gone 14 or 16 hours, depending if I break the speed limit or not, by a little bit, uh, and I've gone a thousand miles. And that exists nowhere else in the world, right? You cannot do that in Europe, you can't do that in Japan. Uh, and in fact, in Europe and Japan, you've got geography that's specifically um, more attuned to tiny cars, right? And so they're really fuel efficient. They're really good for cities. Uh, and we're really good at making big ass cars and trucks because we've got, you know, really big and open spaces. And I, I think that's what American luxury has always been about. And I think finally the American auto manufacturers are starting to kind of, kind of figure that out that Americans want American cars. They don't want American cars to drive like German cars, right? They don't want a car. That can do whatever eight eight minutes around the Nuremberg ring. Nuremberg, I always say that wrong. Nuremberg ring, but you want a car that can get you to Phoenix with fourteen cup holders and a huge gas tank because there are sections of road and used to be along the old Route 66 where you can go eighty miles without actually hitting a gas station. Does that even exist in Japan or Germany where you could go a hundred and whatever forty kilometers without hitting a gas right. station? I don't think that exists. Right. Uh, so Ford getting rid of their cars. The Mustang is going to be the only one left. Is that right? Eventually, yeah. The, 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 the fusion's kind of soldiering on. It's just been around for the before because of the uh, tariffs and trade war with China that they're not going to. There was a. Uh, there's going to be a, a Chinese-built uh, kind of mini crossover uh, that was going to uh, was going to come and kind of slot in underneath uh, some of their small SUVs and, and force it that they just can't build it because of a uh, trade war that's going on right now. And they went out and, you know, just said it outright. Um, and so, yeah, that's the only one that's really going to be left. And then the, the real shame is, of course, that we've always wanted the forbidden fruit in America, right, which has been the hot hatches. So Ford actually built three of the best hot hatches in Europe. They built the Fiesta ST, uh, the Focus ST, and, of course, the RS. And all three of those are gone. And after decades of people wanting and wanting and wanting it, they finally brought them over, and now nobody bought them. So it's, uh, it's, it's it's That's horrible news, especially for someone for me that likes to go fast. Uh, Roman, where can people uh, find out more about your stuff and watch your videos? Yeah, thanks, Nick. It's uh, TFL Car, the fastlanecar.com or tfltruck.com. Uh, you know, we've got um, really all those reviews that we talked about from the uh, ABA Awards that are there. Uh, and actually, have a really fun deliberation video. So if your audience wants to see, you know, how we pick those cars, you can watch it. It's actually really fun. If you're a car enthusiast or if you're just looking at buying a car, I think it's, it's a good place to check out. All right, more to come. We're talking to Mark Danke from uh, Audi. That's coming up next on our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles.
Power Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is our Auto Expert. All right, I'm not going to waste much time with uh, long introductions because I have a lot of product to talk about in this next segment. Uh, joining us on the phone is Mark Danke. He is the Director of Product Technology and Motorsports Communications at Audi USA. Big announcement for you, Mark. Uh, last week, it was uh, probably the biggest announcement that Audi has had for about a year or so. Is that right? Oh, I think it might even be bigger than that, Nick. Uh, this was a uh, this was a big uh, big step for our brand, and uh, it's a big step, frankly, for the the industry as a whole, and for for many customers that want to go electric with our Audi e-tron. So the e-tron is uh, is your first all electric vehicle. You guys have kind of dabbled uh, with some plug-in hybrids in the past. You've done lots of testing. Uh, finally, ready to roll something out uh, to the American public, and it came out with uh, with quite a bang. Uh, not only did you have all the news about the car, which you know is outstanding, especially the charge times, eighty percent in around thirty minutes, two hundred and fifty mile range. But one of the biggest pieces of news, which I felt. Uh, was almost uh, as big as the announcement of the car is with this vehicle that Amazon will be launching their home services charging. So uh, with the Audi e-tron, when it comes to market, you can get all the charging set up by Amazon as well. Yeah, I think it's a really big, important step because most people have no idea. If I buy an electric car, who do I call to have my charging installed in my home? And Amazon, I think, is obviously a familiar brand for very many people. And it's as simple as going on to Amazon and literally putting in a few pieces of information. And with that, Amazon is able to provide home-installed charging solutions that fit your needs. And they plan to do it at a flat rate and to do that for the predominant level of housing. Of course, if you have something where you have a detached garage that's 100 feet away from your house or anything like that, that's a different story. But nonetheless, you have the guarantee that Amazon brings with its happiness guarantee, and you have trained technicians that you can rely on that also have to live up to what customers say about them in the same manner as products do on Amazon. So it's just a really simple solution so people can confidently go electric with the Audi e-tron and with Amazon. Let's talk about the vehicle because it's kind of exciting. I mean, I'm always excited by Audi cars, but it's even more exciting now to have an electric version of the vehicle. So instead of having the battery in the front or the back, you actually uh, a massive battery under the floor, seven feet long. Uh, you put it, uh, you sort of made the car into two parts, the battery on the bottom and the rest of the car on the top. Yeah, I think it's a, it is the way that battery cars are probably best constructed because when you have the weight of the battery down low in the car, it gives you a good center of gravity, gives you better handling, and gives, feels you, makes you have a much more planted solution when you're driving it. The other ability that it gives you is space to be able to have a battery that size that can then power the car. 95 kilowatt ba- uh, hours for people that, that, what does that mean? It means 5.5 seconds, zero to 60, which is a very reasonable time for a midsize SUV. I think more importantly, though, that our first battery electric is that it is the right size for the U.S. market. The car fits into the midsize luxury SUV segment. That means that it really fits for many, many households in the country. It's a five-seater with plenty of space for five adults, as well as for cargo in the rear. 
Now, this this battery, I mean, the first thing that would jump to my mind would be, you know, there's the battery right next to the road, and this is an SUV. But you guys actually plated, you put uh, special aluminum plates on the underside of the vehicle to make sure that battery was taken care of and safe. Yeah, we have the aluminum uh, aluminum bat cover over the battery of underneath, obviously, to avoid any intrusion. Uh, but what is almost more interesting, I think, is that where previous... Uh, battery solutions that have been brought forth to the marketplace have had the cooling of the battery, which is extremely important because a battery, when it runs hot, it loses its ability to perform. It also can't run super cold. It has to be able to maintain a good operating temperature. And what our engineers came up with in true Audi fashion was to put the, the cooling system beneath the battery, beneath the 36 battery packs, and to be able to keep the cooling separate from the batteries. Therefore, if there is a puncture or you have a crash, God forbid, then the liquid cooling will drill out the bottom and just exit the car onto the, onto the asphalt, as opposed to when it mingles with a battery, what happens? There are only two options. You either have a short or you have a fire. And that is really genuine Audi engineering that, uh, at its best. One of the things that I found gave me a little chuckle is that when you introduce your car, which is really you're the second mass market uh, electric SUV to be introduced, the first one being the Jaguar I-Pace, there was a tweet from somebody at Jaguar that basically said, welcome to the party. And that's kind of where it is. Now we have two major manufacturers and uh, Jaguar are welcoming you with open arms because you know people are genuinely excited about having an electric SUV in the market. So the reception was, I mean, you had 2,000 people at your announcement the reception was pretty incredible from the crowd. Yeah, I mean, we, we have great respect for our colleagues at Jaguar. I know exactly who you're speaking of, whom that tweet came from. He's a great guy and have a lot of respect for the brand and, frankly, also the product. Uh, the, the, there's, a, there's a need for the, the segment of electric cars to get more accepted. It will happen over time. People will begin to see what the advantages are, both in terms of coming home and plugging your car in, no different than your cell phone when you do that every evening, and the uh, benefits of driving with electric in terms of the, uh, the, the, you don't have to go to the pump any longer. You also have a cleaner, uh, a cleaner, uh, um, a cleaner result, excuse me, a cleaner result for the environment in the end. Uh, and it's also a lower operating cost overall. So there are a lot of advantages. It will be important for people to uh, take a look and see what's out there. Frankly, yes, there are other competitors out in the marketplace, but there's also just people in general that are going and buying mid-sized level SUVs, again, the largest segment in the, in the luxury space. And uh, we certainly hope a lot of those people will end up coming to, uh, to our, uh, our uh, Audi e-tron. So what puts a smile on my face, Mark, is when somebody said to me, uh, a guru in the car industry said to me, you know, they, they will be accepted when we no longer call them electric cars and we just call them cars. And I guess that's true, right? And that we're getting very close to that stage now. The downside is, uh, you know, everybody wants one of these now. Everybody wants an e-tron or an i-pace. Uh, but you are, you guys are actually going to manage to push out 200 of, of these a day, which is far more than many other car companies have been able to make of these electric vehicles. Well, the scale that we bring to the equation, we are a global manufacturer. We sell in all countries around the world, and uh, our brand obviously has gained in recognition from that standpoint. And, and it will make uh, the electric car space more more interesting. The e-tron is an exceptional product. We have no doubt. We're very confident that the car 
uh, has uh, has the ability to get uh, traction in the marketplace, no pun intended. And I think what you said earlier, becoming more mainstream. Well, we built this SUV and uh, the e-tron to be number one, a luxury SUV. It has the right size. It has the right equipment in terms of all the things that luxury buyers like to have, like heated, cooled seats with massage functions. We have panoramic sunroof standard. We have our MMI with haptic touch, which has been has been uh, voted uh, leading in the industry uh, multiple times already. Um, and it's, it's easy to use. Uh, so all of those things come in and make it just a great SUV to buy. And then on top of it is an electric with these uh, great engineering uh, feats that our engineers came up with to be able to make the car go electric with the separate cooling system for safety, um, as well as to hold the battery at, at optimal temperature. So it's really an exciting product. And, and I think the what makes it so exciting as well it doesn't just speak to a small sliver of the market. It speaks to the biggest luxury segment in the market. So on top of all of this deliciousness, you're also offering uh, a 1,000 kilowatt hours of free charging with the vehicle. So what does that equate to? Yeah, it basically it gets you to uh, quite a run of about 100 charges or so. So it, it's quite a few, and you get to basically go out onto – uh, we like to speak to it at, at home. You're using Amazon, and then uh, on the road, you have Electrify America's network of fast charging stations that are currently being built out. And by the time our car goes into the marketplace, there'll be about 500 yeah. of them throughout the country. So uh, obviously, major arteries as well as major cities. Uh, the car is the fastest charging in terms of its capability. 30 minutes in uh, in 30 minutes, it goes to 80% of the battery charge. People probably wonder why 80%. Well, when you charge battery, uh, it, the last bit is the, the final trickle, and it, it takes, it takes a, a long time. To get it filled. Yeah, but you can get to 80 rather quickly, and that is certainly enough to get you uh, to your next point to uh, be able to get around. Perfect, Mark Danke from Audi. Thank you for joining us, and thanks for being on the show. I am Nick Miles. Our auto expert will continue. More auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. You're listening to our auto expert. We uh, love to talk to this guy. Uh, Anton Woolman is a contributor to Seeking Alpha. He's also an independent investor and analyst, and uh, he knows more about electric cars and the state of car companies than I have forgotten, uh, which is saying an awful lot because I forget many things these days. Anton, have you got yourself into trouble with Tesla again this week? In my country, we have many problems, social, <laughs> economic, and a Tesla Honda tow truck. If it's a pain, it's behind my thumb. So, I'm surprised. Yeah, that, is a, that is the state of affairs, sadly, yes. Uh, Tesla, um, have they ever tried to like talk to you and make friendly since you're very good at pointing out all the problems that they have? I, I just have trouble with Morse code, the stuff that they send through smoke signals over the mountains. So there is... You know, between all of the California forest fires and related, it's just hard to, the message just not seem to come through somehow. So what's going on with them this week? So no. Well, right now, I mean, the company is in a bit of a hot water because it was revealed that 
the Department of Justice has opened up some sort of investigation into the matter. The company says that it's uh, they're replying to voluntary questions. But, you know, when you get a question from the Department of Justice, to call it voluntary is like saying that paying your income tax is voluntary. It's voluntary insofar as whether you're going to get audited or jailed or not. So you had better answer these questions and because otherwise they will soon cease to become voluntary so that is a major backdrop to what is going on and then the second issue is we're nearing the end of the quarter and the company of course has promised both profitability and to be free cash flow positive and it has set certain targets with respect to in particular model three production and deliveries and now that we're uh what a bit, little bit barely a week away from uh quarter end uh everybody's on pins and needles trying to figure out uh whether these numbers are going to pan out or not so let's just jump back to the doj investigation we talked about this three weeks ago saying that that was a likelihood because uh, Elon had basically purchased shares himself and then announced on his blog that he had been talking to the Saudis about purchasing the company and that's uh, akin to insider trading investigation which seems to be where this is heading is that correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, what people are talking about is actually uh, another different matter, and that is whether the company was truthful in saying that they had an offer on the table essentially to uh, to take the company out at $420 a share. Uh, Elon Musk said that the only thing that remained was a shareholder vote. And if the only thing that remains is a shareholder vote, then clearly there must be something uh, pretty hard and clear on the table. The board must have voted and there must be a deal in place. And of course, there was none of that. I mean, the company has clearly admitted to that at this point uh, several weeks ago now. So that is what everybody seems to be focused on. And I think that that really misses the more perilous area for Tesla, which is to say, why on earth did its uh, CEO and largest shareholder go out and buy stock in his own company when he was negotiating with uh, uh, this potential purchaser of the company? This is a great mystery. And uh, I would it would not surprise me if in the coming uh, weeks and months, we'll be hearing a lot more about that particular angle as opposed to the famous funding secured, which seems to be on everybody's mind until this point in time. So, uh, you know, that this is going to be a big problem for them if uh, the DOJ decides that they have a problem, because uh, at that point, who is going to be liable? Is it uh, Elon? Is it going to be the whole company? Well, uh, that's where it starts to unravel, because on the one hand, the company uh, essentially could be fined for not reining in its CEO and uh, allowing him to make all sorts of statements that turned out to be inaccurate. So that's one problem for the company, and also the company could be liable uh, against shareholder lawsuits that are already uh, well underway. On the other hand, the CEO has his own very personal liability for the matter that we just discussed. And then we have the board of directors, which people could be going after also, and especially with, when it comes to uh, not reining him in and basically going along with uh, 
a very, um, you know, to put it very mildly, a very unconventional management style in terms of communicating what the company is or isn't going to be doing. So uh, the company has a problem, the board of directors has a problem, and the CEO himself has a problem. So there are a lot of people with potential problems here, and this will take some time to sort out, uh, whether it's the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission or the Department of Justice. These matters tend to not uh, unfold within a couple of months, but tend to take uh, several months at a minimum because there are a lot of people that need to be interviewed. There is materials that need to be examined, correspondence. We know that the uh, SEC has asked the banks and other financial advisors for um, uh, for documents. So they're certainly looking into this and taking this investigation uh, by all means seriously at this point. All right. Anton Woolman is our independent investor and analyst, and he joins us every week. You can read plenty more of his stuff at seekingalpha.com. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk uh, more about what's going on in the electric car business. Uh, Anton sent me this very interesting table, which was the Mercedes EQC versus the Jaguar I-Pace and the Audi e-tron. We can look at that. Plus the other cars that are going to appear on the electric uh, landscape in the next few months and who will be next to market and will there be enough electric cars to go around all those that are looking for them that's coming up as our auto expert continues more of our auto expert with nick miles is coming up Our auto expert with Nick Miles. Getting in deep into the car industry, our auto expert, Ryan, Megan, Jen, Noah, Brandon, and Jeff, all here uh, providing you with the latest car information, car knowledge. Uh, so we're talking to Anton Wallman. Uh, Anton is a independent investor and analyst, and it, he basically knows more than we could all possibly know. Anton, uh, let's talk about electric cars. So Audi shows their new e-tron. Everyone's super excited. Uh, this is number two in the mass produced cars to, to hit the market, but we're going to have to wait a little while until we can get our hands on the first models. Uh, Audi is taking deposits of a thousand dollars right now. They are, and uh, manufacturing has begun. Deliveries in Europe are scheduled to begin in November, and they are scheduled to begin in the United States next April. Car starts around 75000 and while it plays, broadly speaking, in the same class as the Mercedes and Jaguar equivalents, the Jaguar, of course, beating Audi to the market by a small handful of months, uh, it is slightly larger than those other vehicles, in particular those Jaguars. So if you're concerned with uh, luggage space and rear seat space and so forth, uh, the Audi is just a little bit larger. But broadly speaking, these cars are more similar than not. But I think we should at the same time also not forget that arguably a larger impact in the market may be had from a less expensive entry that is hitting Europe right now, simultaneous to the Jaguar, and will be hitting at least California uh, in November, December, and that is the Hyundai Kona electric vehicle, which will cost a lot less. In fact, it will cost almost exactly half of where the Audi will start, so probably around $37,000, $38,000, and uh, 
that is a vehicle which will fit a lot more budgets out there, even though it does not have something like uh, four-wheel drive. So the Kona and uh, Hyundai have asked me if I'd like to uh, drive the Kona in a couple of weeks. Uh, the Kona is the first uh, long-range... I don't. What do we call them? What's the right terminology? Is it long-range at 250 miles, 240 miles? Or what, how, do we, how do we nomenclature this? Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark, plus or minus 15%, it's, it's really the new normal for a battery electric vehicle that is going to hit sort of the American mainstream market. In other geographies, such as certain places in Europe and in Japan, there will still be a vibrant market for those sort of 125 to 175, 200 mile electric vehicles. But for the U.S. slash North American market, I think... Uh, uh, you know, we can call them more of a normalized scenario going forward. So uh, this will be a pretty good value equation to get 258 miles of all EV range for just under $40,000 for something which is at least on paper, something akin to an SUV. So let's let's talk a little bit about the where where the range happy spot is, where everybody's happy spot for range is. Is 250 miles it? Because I want more than that. Well, some people clearly do, but also keep in mind that uh, probably an even more important part of the range equation is going to be the charging equation. When you're near home, 250 miles is way more than almost everybody would ever need on a daily or weekly basis, but you'll want it in particular when you're going on a longer trip for the few people who engage in such adventures. And for the purposes of doing that, Volkswagen was forced to pay approximately two billion dollars to build a new network in the United States and that construction started in the last year and it's supposed to open in just a couple of months from now with the first few dozen stations and by the end of 2019 they are scheduled to have I think it's 470 or so stations along the major interstates from Los Angeles to New York and equivalent so that you can go out there and travel very long distances and and at that point, yes, the range is going to matter. But I think what people will ultimately care just as much about is the quality and capabilities and reliability of the long-range electric vehicle charging network that will take you on a longer trip. Maybe not across the whole country, but maybe you're traveling from Portland to San Francisco or from Portland to Las Vegas or to some other place where you may have to stop a couple of times. Uh, and But you want to make sure that when you do that, that the experience is very uh, modern and reliable and that you can count on it being there when you uh, get out on the uh, I-5. I love road trips for the first 250 miles. Then I'm kind of over it. Yeah. Uh, so, so After that it gets a little bit boring. Yeah. Right. I like I, I like the idea though. I could have more miles than 250. I think I would be more comfortable with four or five hundred miles. When are we going to see vehicles that can do that? I don't think we will go that high in any reasonable car for many years to come. Keep in mind that batteries are still very. Uh, heavy, and that as you try to increase the range of the car, you get a double penalty. First, you have to have the batteries that will actually take you longer, but to take you longer, you then need to carry more weight. So, you know, you're, you're essentially um, 
uh, you're essentially fighting against yourself, so you're adding more weight in order to add more range. Now, if you're adding a larger gasoline or diesel tank to a normal internal combustion engine car, it only adds a few pounds to add literally over 100 or 200 miles of range. So the impact is near zero in terms of your ability to uh, take the car those longer distances. But if you have to add several hundreds of pounds so as to add to the burden of the battery you're starting to chase your own tail and i think uh, you know somewhere around 350 miles or so is where the industry is going to top out for quite some time what's going to be the next long range suv or long range electric vehicle to hit the market so we have the kona from Hyundai, we have the uh, the Jaguar I-Pace. We have in the luxury market, of course, the e-tron from Audi. What's going to be the next one that drops, and when's that going to be available? Well, we actually have several ones that will be dropping probably early 2020, and those are from uh, Volkswagen in Europe uh, and in the U.S. a few months later. We're going to get a second model from Audi. We're going to get a Volvo, and we are going to get a model from Nissan. And uh, uh, we're also going to get two models from General Motors, and we're going to get a Ford, which is, they say, inspired by the Mustang, which means that it will look a little bit like Mustang's Mustang straight from the front and straight from the back, even though the total vehicle is much taller than that. And that manufacturing is set to start uh, just before the middle of 2020. So those are some of the examples. And then, of course, inside the great country of China, you'll have so many of them that we can't even count them. There are 470 electric vehicle startups in the country of China. So China will be flooded with these things. How many of them will be really good and competitive? I couldn't quite tell you, but it's going to be several of them that will be uh, pretty impressive. And maybe just maybe some of them will make it stateside as well in uh, two or three years from now. Can I jump in? I had some questions about the the Volkswagen settlement and the stations. I've never heard about that. So where is that first section opening up? The stations are opening up in just a few uh, months from now. They started building these stations uh, at the end of 2017. And a few of them are sort of quote unquote open, but not really, meaning they function, but they're not really selling the service to the uh, general public yet. But they are about to start doing that here in uh, in a, just a little while, in a couple of months. So uh, they will start doing that soon. And if you're buying, say, the Audi e-tron, you're going to get with the purchase a certain allocation of kilowatt hours baked into the basic price of the vehicle. So you can sort of taste it, quote unquote, quote, for free, and then, of course, to buy more electricity than that, you'll have to pay a la carte or buy some sort of a plan. So where where are those stations now? Uh, be Where have they been built? Is it mostly California, Oregon, Washington, up and down the West Coast, or is it all the way across the country? Well, 40% of the spend, 40% of the $2 billion that will be spent on this network will happen inside the state of California. The other 60% will be built outside of California. So that is the mix over uh, the fullness of time. Uh, so far, they're really spread all over the map. I mean, we're talking all the way down from Mississippi to Washington, D.C. to Seattle. So the handful of first stations are 
uh, a little bit all over. And as I said, in a few short months or just a couple of months, we'll see them actually opening up. So this is going to come together here. We're not talking about years, but uh, months from now. So, th- I mean, this obviously now makes me, gets my hairs on the back of my neck up a little bit because the one state that probably doesn't need as many new electric charging stations is is California, where there is the massive electric vehicles for sale, yet they get the, the bulk of that. Where did that decision come from? That came from the settlement in terms of uh, the uh, Volkswagen Dieselgate scandal that uh, came to light almost exactly to the day three years ago. So in the several months after that came to light and the parties started to negotiating this multi, multi, multi-billion dollar settlement that included buybacks of all of the diesel vehicles and, and similar measures, part of that settlement was that Volkswagen had to spend $2 billion building out a network of this nature and they formed that under a separate entity called Electrify America. And if you go to electrifyamerica.com, you can actually see a map that'll have little red dots on there and a description of where the first stations are coming up. And then basically along a timeline, you'll see how many stations are set to be completed under, uh, you know, under the, under essentially a uh, timeline. So at the end of 2019, uh, that number, I think I quoted you, some 470 stations will have opened at that time. So here's an interesting question about Electrify America and question about uh, cars in general, electric cars in general. Obviously, there's a $7,500 tax credit that can be gained for the first number of electric cars sold by car companies, and that credit can be gained by the purchaser of those vehicles. You know, with all these electric cars coming out, isn't that a massive weight on the U.S. government to, to pay all that money? Oh, it absolutely it is. I mean, it's basically a, a tax credit. They use it or lose it. So if you have liabilities up to $7,500 and your vehicle is eligible for the full $7,500, uh, basically you can take that that year. But if you, uh, you know, went to a little island in the Caribbean one year and had no income, uh, you know, and bought an electric car somehow in the meantime, uh, you, you know, your the tax credit isn't going to be worth anything for you. So a few people will fall into that bucket. Other people simply just normally don't make all that much money. And uh, why they should be buying an expensive electric car, I'm not sure. But even if they did at that point, they couldn't take advantage of the tax credit. But I think the bigger quirk in the system is this whole thing of, once you hit 200,000, you have up to still six full quarters to sell as many units as you want. So we will see that now with Tesla, for example. Tesla hit 200,000 units in early July, which means that for the rest of this year, they can sell as many cars as they want that are eligible for this uh, tax credit. And then for the first half of 2019, the credit gets cut by half and then it gets cut by half again for the second half of 2019 and after which it uh, stops at zero. So other automakers, uh, GM and Nissan will probably be next and they will start hitting those numbers here at some point over the next year. So when you hit that inflection point of 200,000, you want to be in a position at that point to crank out as many as you can. And that may be explaining by both Nissan and General Motors at this point in time are not really pushing the Chevy Bolt and the Nissan Leaf very much because they're holding back until they have a far more attractive product that's ready to hit the market probably in, uh, you know, six, nine or 12 months from now. 
All right. Anton Wallman, SeekingAlpha.com is where you can read most of his stuff. He is a great guy full of information. Our show, 24-7 at OurAutoExpert.com. You can constantly listen to every program we have ever made at the website. And, of course, follow us on social media. That is Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please friend us. Send us direct messages. Ask us questions. We're here for you all the time. Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles.